get started here this morning, I want to introduce some things that we're going to then go look at over the coming weeks. Um, I, so I kind of want to begin a series here with us uh, that'll take a couple weeks, months, years, a lifetime, really to kind of get into our thinking and into our understanding. With COVID and all and everything kind of being the way it is and the vaccinations here or not here, or, you know, I, I, some of the folks were saying, hey, we got one, but we don't know about two. We got one and two, you know, whatever it is, that life has changed as we know it. And just be, and, and it just has. And to say that it hasn't is really to not go try to go out and eat dinner somewhere. You know, it's just changed. But the word of God and God's grace has never changed, doesn't change. It's timeless, if you will. And there's a thing here on uh, this morning, uh, the title of my message, the, the, the Super Foundations of Grace. And, and I just, again, we, as we begin to, to learn and to go and things have changed now in, in life around us, because of that, we have never changed as far as God's grace is concerned. And it really all starts with an understanding of who you are in Christ. And when we have that proper understanding, then as we begin to interact with one another, as we begin to go live life, we can then utilize some of these foundational truths and uh, cause them, have them be carried out in our daily lives. And it's important, I think, whether it's in our marriages, it's whether it's in our family relationships, our work relationships, our, the local church relationships here. You know, people, we always talk about the married people. What about the single people? Well, you've got a relationship as well. The, our neighbor, you know, we have relationships with our neighbors and so forth. When you begin to think about all that, boy, the first thing you have to do, I don't, was this, I got, Phil, see, Phil, I know what you feel like, brother, okay? This past year, they say that more marriages have, are on the rocks, if you will, than ever before. And the reason is, is what happened? Husband can't go to a job, wife can't go to a job, now we're all working from home, okay? But do you know that that's how it was originally intended? In Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. See? See, she's already telling you, yeah, stay home. <laughs> you know? See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, but see, that, and you think about what is our life, our lifestyle, our society. What has it done to that issue? Well, now that we're all back together, we have to do what? We have to readjust our thinking. We have to readjust our understanding. We have to begin to, to say, you know what? Yeah, I gotta, I'm around more often with, with all of my relationships. They're, so now I'm going to have to really rely on who I am in Christ. Because as much as I love them, they just get on my last nerve, and I want to send them what it, Alice to the moon, you know? So when you begin to think about that, you begin to have to work and, and, and pay attention to who you are in Christ, and to think about that. 1 Timothy 1 here, verse number 3, Paul writing to Timothy uh, about the, the rule, uh, the, the organization called the local church. 
and the, what, how the local church is to function and to operate. And in the introductory issue here, he says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia that thou mightest, teach, mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. What was going on there at the church of Ephesus now when Timothy gets there? And you have to think about Timothy. You think about the church at Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, Ephesus, Acts 17, 18, 19, 20, is going, is growing. It's, Paul spends two, three years there with them. Acts 20, he's leaving them. Now, he tells them, by the way, in Acts 20, when I leave, trouble's coming. Grievous wolves are going to enter in from within, from without. You guys are going to have an onslaught here when I leave, and you better be ready. Well, guess what? The onslaught hit. He's telling Timothy, charge some that they do what? Teach no other doctrine. That's an interesting thing there. You have to be careful. Verse 4, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions. What's the other doctrine that they're teaching now? Fables and endless genealogies. Story time. So Sunday morning, so church has now become an hour of quote-unquote praise and worship and a 20-minute devotional ditty to get you through the day. See? Stories, fables, endless genealogies, the who's who crowd. Okay? And he says, that's, no, don't give heed to that stuff. But rather, verse 4, rather than what? Godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. You see, the local church is to be about this issue of godly edification and this issue here about God about grace this foundation you're in first Timothy if you come over just real quickly to chapter 4 and verse number 8 first Timothy 4 and verse number 8 but godly but bodily exercise profiteth little but godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come the issue of godly edification. Come back with me to Romans chapter 16. Hopefully you have the, the, the overhead is there for you. And we pretty, I try to pretty much stay to it. Sometimes we get off of it. Romans 16 verse 25. And when you begin to think about the godly edification, the process, the Paul, our apostle, Romans 11, 13. He's the apostle of the Gentiles. He's talking to us Gentiles. And he says, hey, look, there's a godly edification. There's a process here to take you from babe to adult. And when we lay that thing down in there and we begin to work that thing in, what begins to happen is you begin to grow. Okay? And when you begin to grow... Godly edification is not designed for you to just have a super abundant, abundant knowledge. It's rather for you to grow, taking that knowledge and applying it. Paul over there to Timothy, he says, the end of the commandment is what? Charity. Okay? Here's the end. The end goal out here is the issue of charity. Thinking about caring for others as Christ would think about and care for them. Get over here to the end. But in order to get there, I've got to do what? I've got to process. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, of, uh, of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. 
There are some things that were kept secret that are now being made manifest. And the issue here of, he says that first thing, by the way, notice in verse 25 the word and. And offsets three pillars, three foundational points here. According to the to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Verse 26, and by the scriptures of the prophets. So you begin to build this edifice up. Now, we're not going to build the edifice up there, but what we're going to begin to talk about is we're going to begin to talk about that bottom, that foundation. Come back over with me just real quick to Acts chapter 20. I said this, so I was thinking about it. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. The foundation, the bottom, the bottom rung there, Paul calls it my gospel. Okay? In Paul's, look at Acts 20 and verse 32. Acts 20 and verse 32. And now, brethren, Paul talking to the elders at Ephesus, I commend you to God and the word of his what? Grace. That foundation of grace, my gospel. So in the foundation of grace, when in Ephesians 4, he says that you would grow up. I, and now i got to quote it. I was going to quote it, but. Ephesians 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into you, into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Grow up. So you're going to have a foundation. Now, think about something with me. What do you lay on a foundation? What kind of material do you normally use in foundation? Concrete, right? So you've got concrete. Do you know what the four elements of concrete are? You buy the bag at Home Depot, right? What's in that bag? Cement. <laughs> There's four things that make up the cement. <laughs> that was good. I, I, you got you to get a chuckle. What do, you, what do you have in that bag? Sand, gravel, right? When you open the bag up, what did you just add to the bag? Air. Then you go over and you take the hose... And you add what? Water. Now, if you're in my case, you don't start fast enough and it becomes a, just a big, heavy block. And then you're like trying to get it into the black barrel so they can take it to the dump, you know? And then the poor guy in the dump truck comes over and goes, hey, you know, and two lip, two, two, two things to get it up. You've got four elements that make up concrete, don't you? Do you know that in grace you have four elements that make up your foundation? You have the key. You have the source. You have the rain. And you have the future. You have those same four basic elements that are going to make up our foundation, make up the foundation of grace. The first is the key to it. Look over with me at Romans chapter 4. Look at me with Romans chapter 4. 
when we talk about grace and we talk about foundation and living as who we are in Christ, here's the, bo- the bottom, the, the baseline. Here it is. Here, Romans chapter 4, verse number 4. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that believe, well, I'm sorry, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his, what? Faith is counted for righteousness. The key of grace. The only response that grace will ever accept is what? What's verse 5 say? Faith. That's, that's the only response that faith is, or that grace is going to do. Verse 5 again. Notice it carefully. But to him that worketh not, but what? Believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his what? His faith, his belief is counted under righteousness. So the key, I put my pen down, so the key is going to be faith. That's the only, come over to verse 16, Romans 4, 16. Therefore, if, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise made might be sure to all the seed, not to only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Faith and grace are going to go hand in hand. They're going to work together. Just as you put water into the mix, just as you got your mixture there, that issue of faith comes along. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. You know the verses. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Why? For by grace are you saved through faith that it is the gift of God. Get the verse right, okay? Why? Not, because what's, what triggers grace? Faith does. Look at Romans chapter 11. Look at Romans chapter 11. Romans 11 and verse number 6. Romans 11 verse 6. A verse that you ought to have in your mind constantly, if you will. Romans 11, verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So what's the opposite of faith? Works. If I'm going to go work for something, then guess what it is not? Grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Grace, you add a work to the equation of building the gospel. By the way, if you come over here and if you added lumber to this, you mess it up, don't you? Okay? If you add works to this, you mess it up. It becomes not secure. Come over to Colossians chapter 2. The only thing that destroys God's grace is when you add a work to it and make it a requirement to either get saved, to stay saved, or to prove that you are saved. He says, no, grace and works, they don't mix. They're like oil and water. Ricky's got a new little project truck, and we're working on it, and we're looking at it, and it's got a leak. And uh, it's a, can't tell if it's a coolant leak or an oily leak, oil leak, because... They kind of blended together on the motor, but then when you stick the pan underneath, and guess what you found out? <laughs> they don't mix, so it's an oil leak, so we've got to find that. But you, you, it's just faith and works are the same way. They just don't go together. 
What did I tell you? Colossians 2, right? Colossians 2, verse 6. Colossians 2, 6. As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's the issue here on this foundation as we're moving forward. We're, we are, 2 Corinthians 5 over there, we're to walk by faith. So the key to grace is the issue of faith. Now come over to Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The source of grace, where did our concrete have its beginning? In the plant somewhere. Then they put it in a bag, put it on a pallet, and sold it to you at Home Depot. But it had a source back at the plant. The source of grace, grace has a source. The source is a person called the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? There's the source of it. Where does it all come from? Where does it have its beginning? Where does it move? And again, Romans 6, 7, and 8, we've been studying it in the first hour. We're talking about identification truths and that person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, look at verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, the Father, hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in who? In Christ. Come back to Romans 6. You're looking at me funny. Romans 6. Looking at Romans 6. By the way, Colossians 2.10, ye are complete where? In him. You go to 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 8 there, where he talks about all sufficiency, all things, all grace. It's in him. Our identity is in Christ. And it's so complete that God then is able to make us, give you and I, everything that we need. We're fully equipped. We're fully staffed. We're fully supplied. Everything we need is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 6. Look at verse number uh, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin? Notice our relationship to sin is a dead man relationship. Dead. If something's dead, there's no life in it. Has no control. Has no viability. It's dead. Verse 3, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into who? Jesus Christ. Again, baptism here is not water, it's identification. We're identified by death into who? Into Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we're baptized into his death. Verse 4, therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Come down to verse 23. You see, folks, the source of grace comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is what? You're going to go live a life of sin as a believer, because that's what Romans 6 is talking to. You go live a life of sin, of living to your flesh and fulfilling the lust thereof, you're going to have death. Chapter 8 of Romans, he calls it condemnation. You're going to have trouble. And when trouble comes, it's because you've chosen not to live as who you are in Christ. You've chosen to live as you were living before you got saved. 
and you're going to have trouble. But the gift of God is eternal life. Well, that's wonderful, isn't it? But notice a verse didn't stop. It says what? Through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the source is Christ. Everything that you and I need. Come, come, come on over there to 2 Corinthians 9. I just love this verse. I, it's just a verse that everything we need in order to live the Christian life, in order to live our lives on a daily basis, God has written down in a book. But notice verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Who is the source of all the grace, all the sufficiency? God is able to do what? Make. God's the source. He's the one doing it. He's the one over there turning on the spigot. He says, look, what you're going to do is you're going to get in the book. You're going to learn who you are. You're going to come in. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to train you. I'll, I'll educate you. I, we're going to lay a foundation on it. It's the foundation is going to be on a foundation of faith alone, period, and I'm going to be the source of it. Come on over back to me with, with me to Romans 5. So the foundation here, just as we have concrete, we got four elements that, that really, I, I know, you, read, you get online and you read what makes concrete. One guy's got ten things. He's got all, these are the four basic elements because the sand can be, and the gravel, you know, the aggregate has to be .99387. What? You know, that's for the manufacturers to worry about. Just give me the bag, you know. But what, what is grace? Same thing. Here it is. The source of grace is always going to be the sufficient work of Calvary. That's what it's going to be. That's where it comes from. Romans 5, the reign of grace. Oh, boy, what, what a thing. The reign of grace. You think about that, the reign it's going to be his life. Wrong color. I lost my... Oh, there it is. His life. Look at Romans 5. Look at verse 21. Romans 5, 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You see how grace, notice it carefully. So grace, so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. How do I get eternal life? By faith, trusting the finished work of Calvary. Grace reigns by faith. There's the key. And it's going to reign in, in who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the source. When you think about reigning, I think about politics, government, don't you? Control, something that's going to rule. Maybe it's a job, you know? Maybe, it's a, maybe it is the government, maybe whatever. Reign, control. If you look down in chapter 6 there, if you look at verse 14, Paul says, For, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Why is that the case? For ye are not under the law, you're under what? Grace. Under the dominion, the rule, the control of. What's running you? 
the law, the lust of your flesh, or grace? What is it? Which one is it? You see, grace, verse 21, chapter 5 there, so might grace reign. Come in and rule and run and dictate. You with me? You see, okay? Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. I often think about when I ask, are you with me? And somebody's going to say, nope. <laughs> I'm lost. <laughs> and I'll just say, well, see, yeah. <laughs> then we've got to start all over again. <laughs> Galatians 2 verse 20. What a powerful verse this is. I'm talking about here. Galatians 2 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. You know, there's Romans 6. I'm dead to sin. Why? I'm alive through, I have a newness of life over here through the Lord Jesus Christ. My relationship over here to sin and to this old life is dead. I have a new life. Not a rehab, not a refab, not a redo, but a newness, a new life. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. There's Romans 7. You get into Romans 7 and you, and you say, not I. <laughs> I, I. Every time I touch the ball, I make a mess of it. But it's whose life? It's his life. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that word flesh? Yeah, gotta take some time, some time, and look at how Paul uses that word flesh. Here in the context, he's talking about this: your bodies, your members. You go back in Romans 6, and in one mo in 6, 7, and 8, one moment he's talking about your members, instruments, your flesh, and then he's talking about that old sin nature, the lust of the flesh. And he begins to bounce those around on you. And, you. and you know what tells you is the context. That's what helps you understand what he's dealing with. But notice here, his life. And his life is in you. And the life that you live. How do you live your life today as a believer? Well, what does verse 20 say? I'm going to go live it the way he lived his life. I'm going to live it with, with the way, the, with the... By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Well, you go back into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays. Do you remember what he prays? Lord, if there's any, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass, let it be. Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass, let it be. Father, there ain't no way this cup is passing. Not my will, but thy will be done. He says three different things three times. By the way, each one he says, not my will, but thy will. Not my will, but thy will. What is he doing when he says that? He's putting himself underneath in subjection to, submission to the will and the word of the Father. Not, what was the Lord's will when he looked into that cup? of the wrath of the indignation of God against sin. Is there any way not to have this happen? But not, that was his will. Not my will, but thy will. 
when Paul says, I live by the faith of the Son of God, he's talking about living the way God, Christ lived his life. How did he live his life? He goes over there and he lives it in line with the word of the Father. Here's the scripture. Here's what it says. He goes in there in Gethsemane. They go out after the meeting in the upper room and they sing a hymn. They sing a song and they go out into the night. And they're literally singing Psalms 113 to 115, 118, right in there. The Psalms of, of going out into affliction and so forth. And, and that Psalms 115 ends with the binding of the sacrifice and laying it on the altar. Well, what's he about to go do? Be bound and laid on the altar, the cross. And they're singing that and they're rejoicing right in the middle of the death, of his death. He's about to go die, be betrayed by a friend, which fulfills another Psalms passage. Judas, by the way, when he says to them in John, he says, you're my friends and I lay my life down for my friends. Judas is not in the crowd when he says that. Judas has already left to go betray. The Lord looks at Judas and calls him friend in the garden. Judas, you're still valuable to me. You're still, I'm still here for you. What do you come to do, Judas? Friend or foe? Which are you? And Judas gives him the kiss. Identifies him. And you know what Christ says? Put him up. Let's go. No, he says, who are you here for? Well, we come for Jesus of Nazareth and he says, I am he lays them out. They get up. Who are you here for? I think I would have said Nick. I'm here for Nick. <laughs> but they didn't. They said, I'm here for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And he lays them out again. And then old Peter takes his sword and takes off all Malchus's ear, plucks up, Lord heals him. They come and take him. And you know what he did? He said, come, take me. Take me. You know why? Because the Father had told him, you have the power to give your life to take and to bring it back. That power rests right there with you, son. And you know what the son said? The father said, I got this, and I believe my father and his word and his plan and his will, and I'm going to go do that. Do you know that you and I today, we have the same capacity to do that? We have the same thing to have his life reign in us. His life in total, complete dependency on the word and the will of the Father. You and I have that ability to come into the word of God. Come over to 1 Thessalonians 2. I, I'm off base a little bit, but that is nothing new. 1 Thessalonians 2. Thanks for that affirmation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. There's the kicker, is believing it. Come over to Titus chapter 3. You see, folks, you and I, we can come to the Word of God, we can take the Word of God, rightly divided, and we can begin to believe it, and it will have an impact. It will have an effectual working in my life. It'll come in and it'll clean something up, or it will cause you to go and do. Titus 3, verse number 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful 
to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I heard a guy say Titus wasn't written to the church. It was written to Titus. So he's talking to Titus. problem with that verse is, is right in the middle of the verse, what does he say? That they might have believed in God. That they which have believed in God. Who would that be? That would be the church, the body of Christ. Sorry, Charlie. What are you to do? You're to maintain something, aren't you? You're to maintain some good works. You run your eye back up there in verse, chapter 2, verse 12, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What, what's appeared? The grace of God. He's appeared to all men. There's Calvary. There we looked at. That verse 11 is past tense. Where did the grace of God appear? He appeared at Calvary. Verse 12, teaching us. Who's teaching us? The grace of God is that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. There's a present condition right here in time. The, the issue of, of uh, we call it sanctification, right in the middle here, right in time. And what are we to do? We're to take the word of God. He tells Titus that um, um, back over in chapter 2 there, verse number 10, not prolonging but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Adorn the doctrine. Make it look good. Put it on. You get up this morning, took a shower, brushed your teeth, combed your hair, took your meds, and what did you do? You got dressed. Okay? Some of you did. I don't know about the rest of you. You did what? You adorned the clothing. You put it on. Make sure you make it look good. And what grace comes along and does is it teaches us that what's to rule and reign in our life is His life. And we get that as we are studying through the Word of God. Now, you're in Titus 2, right? Because now we've got to talk about the future. The future of grace, the heavenly places. Look at verse 13, Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath, who gave himself for us that he might, what? Redeem us from all iniquity. There's Calvary. And do what? Purify. How do you purify something? You ever try to drink purified water? What are you usually putting it through? Filters, right? Reverse osmo, reverse. What are you doing? He's taking you. You're taking the word of God. You're putting it into your inner man, and it's doing what to you? It's purifying you. And what's going to happen? Unto himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Boy, peculiar you belong to him. His life has put his stamp on your life. You come back to 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. Look at verse 8 again. We read it just a minute ago. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8. 1 Timothy 4 verse number 8. For bodily exercise profit a little, but godliness is profitable Unto how many things? All things. All of it. 
The foundation of grace, godly edification is profitable. Godliness, godlikeness. By the way, the first time you read about godliness is in Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Having promise of the life that what? Now is, when you live your life today, as we're going to go forward here now and, and, and look at some different, uh, in our relationships and so forth, as you begin to live your life in those relationships, as God would have you live your life in those situations, what are you, what are you putting on display? Godliness. Godlikeness. Here's what God would think about this situation if he was standing here going through that situation. You know, everybody always asks, what kind of car would the Lord drive? And they always say a Honda, because we're all in one accord. <laughs> you know, you know, I think he would ride a Harley, but uh, no, I don't know about a Triumph, but a white horse, there you go. Uh, there's the horse people, see, we can get them going, right? But see, what happens? Verse 8, having the promise of the life that what? Now is and of that which is to come. That's fascinating. You know what that tells me? It tells me the stuff that I'm doing right here now in time has an impact out there in the future, my future. Come over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It's fascinating to me that what I'm doing right now in time, what you're doing right now in time, is building toward the future. 1 Corinthians 3 over there, he, Paul says, I laid the foundation, every man builds thereon. You're going to build on it. I don't care what you think, say, do, want to do, you're building on it. What are you building on it? You're building on six elements, okay? Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. And when the fire shows up, by the way, those are representative things. Because what comes up in the next verse is a fire shows up. What does fire do to wood, hay, and stubble? It burns it away. What does it do with gold, silver, and precious stones? It refines it, purifies it, cleans it out, gets the, the old negative stuff out of it, you know. Pure, a pure ounce of silver is always, if you ever look at it, is always .99. It's never one because there's always an element of, of, of something dross in it, see. So when you think about that, Gold, silver, and precious stones, when you study that out, ends up correlating to wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. The three elements that Paul constantly asks you to build into your life. When I do that, guess what? My future gets dictated here a little bit. Colossians 3, notice verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily. I love that. By the way, there's a comma after heartily. Think about heartily. Do you ever do something just kind of halfway there and you just kind of phoned it in? No? I do it all the time. Just, no. Don't phone it in. Do it what? Heartily. I always, it always bugged me when they would say, give 110%. How do you give an extra 10% above what you're already giving? Hmm. Okay? It's just motivational stuff, Right? So do it heartily. Give 110%. Do it. As unto who? As unto the Lord. You're not doing this to Rick 
or your spouse or your family. You're doing it to who? To the Lord and not unto men. Wow, what great motivation for doing. Here you are in a relationship, and he says, be in that relationship 100%, but do it to the Lord. Don't do it for the accolades of man. Verse 24, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Now that's a very fascinating verse. You know what that verse confirms for me? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 that says I get an inheritance. But it confirms for me, verse 24, that my reward of the inheritance is a service issue. It isn't a sit back on a white cloud plucking a harp, fishing out of the rainbow, a trout out of the life, the river of life. Okay, it's not that. It's an issue of service. By the way, when you come to this understanding of understanding wisdom and knowledge, the end of the commandment is charity. You go over and you look at Philippians 2, verse 5, when he talks about this mind in, of, that Christ has be in you, and you work that thing down through the next three or four verses, and you come to find out that God the Son said, I'm going to go down here and do something for mankind that mankind can never do for themselves, and I am going to serve them. Took on the form of a servant. So what does God love? Service. He ain't talking about working. He's talking about what? Serving the Lord in the capacity that you have where you're at, in the level of understanding that you sit at. That's why when you go before the judgment seat of Christ there, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, it has nothing really to do about the thing, about what you've been doing as far as the work. It's the service thing. He looks over at the at the the 12 apostles, they're in the upper room, and he washes their feet. And he says, Peter, hey, we should be doing you. He goes, no, you need to know what a servant looks like. Here he is, God the Son, and he's washing some feet off of 12 guys who are just typical, everyday men. And he says, this is what service looks like. He looks at those disciples and he says, you guys think about reigning and ruling in my kingdom as the Gentiles do, but it isn't. It's, it's all about service. The foundation, the future, the heavenly places, folks, it's going to be an element of service out there. Now, the level of service that you're in, think about that. Think about a hotel. You pull up in your car, pre-COVID, so B.C., before COVID, Okay. You pull up in your car, who usually met you there? A doorman, a bellhop, right? And they're, they're, they have a level of service that what do they do? They take your bags in, they help you get checked in, and they take your bags all the way up to your room, and then you go and you give them your buck or two, and, and they're good to go, right? That is a level of service. The next level, up or down, I don't care which way you want to think, is housekeeping. What do you do with housekeeping? Ding dong, hey, I need more what? Towels. I need the beds changed. That's a different level of service, but it's all still what? Service. So then you go to the pool. And what do you got at the pool? Got a lifeguard, hopefully, maybe. I don't know if you're in the high end, guys. We were in the Motel 6. First time we ever went through Vegas, I was a younger lad. We, found, we stayed at the Motel 6 
Dad was impressed. I was impressed because Motel 6 had a flashing sign because <laughs> it was in Vegas. It was right off the strip, you know. Every, so what do you do? You go in, you got different, that's the same for you and I, different levels of service. You go in and you check in and you got the guys behind the desk that check in. They have a different understanding, a different level of intelligence as far as understanding what's going on than some of the other guys do. So they're in those positions. You talk to the manager. The manager, you, you just you begin to think about serving. Real quickly, you get away from all the other trappings of, well, it's this or that. No, it's just different levels. Come over with me to Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. So as we have laid the foundation this morning, hopefully... Ephesians 5. And as you begin to see that we're, we're just going to spend time here on the bottom foundation of grace. We have a key. The key to it is faith. Grace will only respond to faith. If you're a faith plus a worker, you ain't going to get grace. Just not going to happen. The source of it, the, the source of grace is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The reign of it, what's to rule and live, is his life in your life. And you have a future, a glorious future. In Ephesians 5, <clears throat> helps to get there. You're there, I'm not. When we're talking about now and time and where I want to shift with you, is Ephesians 5 verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Boy, what a verse. Our walk is to be based on some wisdom given to us through the word of God, rightly divided by the Apostle Paul. You know what it is to walk circumspectly? Go on a hike after the first hibernation of the snakes are over, and what do you usually walk with? Two sticks and eight guns, right? You know, and you're doing what? You're moving up. You're careful where you step. If you come to my house and you move a brick, you better be careful. It might be a little scorpion dude underneath there. And you got to be careful, right? Sir, being carefully. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Folks, we live in an evil day, but redeeming the time. Some of you have known the, the grace message since you were wee little to a lad. Others have just coming in over the last couple years. And you know what you have to do? You have to redeem the time. You got to get in it. You got to get going. Now, but watch verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise. Now, again, he said what? Verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise. By the way, what would the wise guy do? The wise. He would do verse 16, redeem the time, because the days are evil. That's what wisdom would do. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Building on this foundation, we're going to operate on grace. And as we come to understand what the will of the Lord is, now, you're going to watch where we're going to go. We're going to start in verse 18, and we're going to walk down through chapter 6. 
And you notice something here that as we begin to walk and as we begin to think about redeeming the time and work, walking according to the will of God, building in on the foundation of grace here, some things into our lives in our relationships. And when you begin to think about this and you begin to look at it and you begin to study it, you really quickly begin to, that issue of the will of the Lord, it, what it is. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Then you talk about what it is to have a spirit-filled life. Verse 18, 19, 20, 21. Then you talk about what it is in your relationship as husband and wife, marriage. Uh-oh. Rick's meddling. No, I ain't meddling. Paul's meddling. <laughs> we'll blame Paul, okay? Then you come down into chapter 6, verse 1, and you begin to understand what it is in a family. What it is, that, that relationship in the family dynamic. You understand what that relationship is as a worker in the workplace with your neighbors. And as you begin to work and you begin to think about that issue of grace, because life as we've known it is completely different now. It will never be what you called normal. You know what normal is? Right now. It's never going to go away. It's never going to go back to the way it was in 1988 or 90 or whatever you think it should go back to. This is normal. So then how do I, what do I need to do? I need to remember the key, the source, the reigning, and the future. And all of the details and all of my relationships. Okay? Because what's got to reign is his life. What has to reign is I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And that's the case. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's the crux of it. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the study of it, for the folks that are interested in studying that. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to...